Well, as you are able, if you could please stand as we hear from the word. Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 6, verse 8 through 15. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this, this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good to be with you here this morning. Also, hello to my children and my mom who are watching online. My mom took my kids to Tahoe this week, so they said they'd be watching church this morning. Whether or not they are, I don't know, but uh, there we go. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm celebrating this week. Just I, I love being a part of our church and seeing what God is doing on our campus through our, our ministries. And uh, this week on Wednesday night, I got to be on campus as, as Summer Blast was happening. And just to see uh, the, the kids' ministry running around and all these students who are just having an amazing time just celebrating what God is doing and, and growing closer to one another and to their leaders and growing closer to Christ and just the leaders and their servant hearts as, as they just are pointing these kids to Jesus. And then Friday, of course, we had prayer and praise night. But while that was happening, um, I was driving up to our middle school summer camp to help bring kids home on Saturday. And so just got to spend the evening up at, at middle school camp and um, just to see just the passionate worship that our middle school students have and the joy that they have in worshiping Jesus. And just to hear some of the stories of what God was doing this week uh, at summer camp and to see our leaders who were all just like, super exhausted. Um, and I came up energized, like ready to talk and hang out. And they're like, Ryan, we want to go to bed. Uh, and, you know, but, but God was doing something amazing. And, and I love just kind of the unity of the spirit and the way God is leading our, our church, like all of it, because on Friday night, our uh, students were hearing a message and, and the pastor was talking about something that we've kind of talked about the last couple of weeks, which was just this idea that, hey, you are gathered here together right now and it's, it's easy for you as you are following Christ because that's what everyone else is doing. But you're going home and, and when you get home, your distractions are there. Some of you are, have difficult circumstances you're going home towards. But for all of you, if you are trying to be a follower of Christ, it's not going to be easy. And that's really what we are diving into today. What we see in the text is that being a follower of Christ is not easy. It is not something that is simple. And there's a message that exists sometimes in churches that I believe are well-intentioned for the most part. But it basically says that if you follow Christ and you do all the right things and you come to church enough and you give your tithe check and uh, you know, you're, you're generally a nice person, like God is going to bless you in a worldly sense. 
In other words, your finances, your relationships, your health, like are all going to be blessed by God. And you're going to find that because you are following Jesus, good things are happening. If bad things are happening, maybe there's some sin or something you got to work through in your life. And yet what we see in scripture is that that is just not the case. Think about just the book of Acts and where we've been so far in chapter one, the apostles who had been following Jesus, see Jesus ascend into heaven and they're told there is a a mission, a plan for them, but they're not given exact instructions. They're just told to go and wait. And waiting can be really challenging. If you've ever been waiting on God and wondering like what his plan is for you and you're like facing some difficult circumstances and you're like, God, I, I know that you are good. I know that you are sovereign. I know that you're leading the way, but man, it would really, really help if you could just tell me where that way is, is, is supposed to go. Like where exactly is it that you want me to be? Where are you want calling me to go? That can be a challenging thing. And then Acts chapter two, the spirit comes upon the apostles and immediately they are, are called crazy and drunks by some in the audience. And then as we progress, we see that the, the apostles are thrown in prison, that they're beaten and they're told, do not go and talk about Jesus any longer. And in Acts chapter six, last week, we looked at the first seven verses. We saw there was some internal conflict because even the, the joy of being a part of the church is messy because we are messy, broken people who are supposed to be loving like Jesus. And that doesn't always work super well. And so being a follower of Christ is difficult. And what we're going to see in our passage today as we move through these eight verses we just read and then into chapter seven, we're going to see that the, the persecution, the challenges are going to escalate to the highest degree. And so what I want us to understand today is that, yes, being a follower of Christ is difficult, but it is worth it. And so here's the thing. In Acts chapter six, all of this is happening to a pretty incredible man named Stephen, um, and it is a reminder that even when you're doing the right thing, and we see this in other people's lives, like you will face trials, you will face persecution, you will face difficulties. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. It tells us this, it says that in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Comforting message this morning. Y'all came to church for some comfort and some joy, uh, and this is where we're going, that everyone will be persecuted. But here's the thing, as we walk through the text together and we see Stephen's life and just kind of the way he, he lived and proclaimed the gospel, we'll understand that it is absolutely worth it. And so what I want us to hear today is that following Jesus comes at a cost. Following Jesus comes at a cost, but the truth is the cost is worth the reward. That the value of Jesus is greater than the cost we have to pay, which is, is significant. But if we don't count the cost, then we'll find at times where we encounter difficult circumstances or we encounter persecution, we encounter trials, and we're going to run away because we never count the cost. And we thought, no, this is supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. It's going to be difficult, but it is worth it. So Stephen, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about him. We met him last week and he was a deacon. He was one of the seven that was chosen to go and be a servant to the widows and to serve them and take care of them, an honorable thing to do. We saw last week that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom and faith. And then it tells us this in verse eight, it says that now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. And so adding to Stephen's character, we see that he is filled with grace and he is filled with power and he's actually performing signs and wonders for all the people. Like this is truly an incredible person. This is, this is someone that actually, honestly, many of us should long to be like. 
Like the things Stephen is doing are very Christ-like, and this is what we should want to be as a part of the church and what we should want in our church. And we have many Stephens in our church, um, but, but this is what we should want more of. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with grace and power and wisdom and, and truth. And all of that, I want just to remind us that all of that starts with that, that first thing about Stephen, that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the reason we are talking about Stephen is because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. So this isn't actually a conversation about Stephen. It's about what God is doing in and through Stephen. The book of Acts is not actually about the apostles. It's what God is doing in and through the apostles. Us being here today is not about us. It is about what God is doing in and through us as the church here today. And so we need to remember that everything is about God. It's about Christ. It's about the Holy Spirit. And so we are being drawn to this idea that if we submit to the Holy Spirit, God is going to do some really incredible things. And so you think a man that has that high of character, surely he just lives a comfy life. Everyone likes him and, and everyone gets along with him. And, you know, he just dies of old age, late in his life, a nice, comfortable, happy man. But tells us in verse 9, it says, Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who begin to argue with Stephen. Now, let me pause because... Every year, uh, I do a Bible reading plan, read the Bible cover to cover every single year. It's just uh, a part of my, one of my habits that I've built into my life. I highly, highly encourage you to do the same thing. Um, but, but when I'm doing my Bible reading plan, uh, it typically is a, a quicker overview. And so when I come to names of places or people, oftentimes it's gonna quickly skip by those. My mind wanders off to something else because I don't really need to know this information. Um, you know, maybe it was there for the original audience, but I'm not gaining anything from this. But that's a bad habit that we shouldn't be in. And so here's why, when you look at this, I just wanna see how good God is and he's fulfilling his promise. You remember in Acts chapter one, verse eight, what did he say? He said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here in this text, it says that opposition arose and the people who he is uh, talking to, the people he is dealing with, there are some from Cyrene and Alexandria and some from Cilicia and Asia, and Cyrene and Alexandria, those are to the south of Israel. They are in Africa, provinces in Africa, to the south of Israel. And then uh, Cilicia and Asia are to the north of Israel. And so here we are seeing that so far in these last few chapters, the gospel has been primarily focused in Jerusalem. But now we are seeing that God is being faithful to his promises to use those who are filled with the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so the gospel is moving north and south away from Jerusalem, away from Israel. I mean, it's still there, but now it is beginning to spread and it's being done through Stephen's testimony in the middle of difficult circumstances. So verse 10 tells us that they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And it's a reminder that it's not Stephen's greatness. It's not where he was educated, how much money he has, his job title that makes him so powerful and wonderful. It is the Holy Spirit moving in him and through him, the same spirit that's in the apostles, the same spirit that's in you and I when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. And so it tells us that, that these other men, they, they were losing this debate to Stephen. And so what do you do when you're losing a debate? You cheat. And so verse 11 says this, says, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified 
This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So they come and they start making these false accusations against Stephen. And here's what's happening, because I want us to, to put our, ourselves in Stephen's shoes in this moment. Stephen knows what he is being accused of, and he knows why he is being accused of these things. So here, the, the, the religious council gathered, and they are accusing him of blasphemy because blasphemy has a death penalty attached to it. And they talk about how he argued against the holy place, against the temple of God, because they were a province of Rome, and in Roman law, a death penalty could only be issued by a Roman governor. However, Rome made an exception for the Jewish people that if there was something spoken against the temple, that the Sanhedrin could be the ones who issued the death penalty. And so here in this moment, Stephen is hearing the accusations that are being brought before him, that are being brought against him, and he knows where this is headed. He knows that they are trying to have him murdered here in this place. He knows that they want to stone him. He knows that his life is on the line. And this is significant because at the beginning of chapter 7, they will ask him, are these things true? And I want you to think about what you would do in this situation. How would you respond to that question? Maybe for some, it would just be an instant denial. Nope, you know, it's not worth it. Like, I would rather live, so I'm just going to deny Christ and move on. For some, maybe we will justify that we are telling a lie by denying Christ. We'll say, well, if I deny Jesus right now, then I can keep proclaiming the gospel to others further down the road, and we'll justify it in our hearts. For some, maybe we'll think, well, I don't need to even really speak to this. I just need to say, hey, these accusations are not true, and I'm just going to speak against these accusations. But for Stephen, the Spirit was leading him to proclaim the gospel. And Stephen now knows the cost. And we're going to see in chapter 7 that he is willing to proclaim the gospel at great cost to himself, at the greatest of costs to himself. And I want us to ask that question, are we willing to follow Christ at all costs? Are we willing to proclaim the gospel and be his witnesses at all costs? Because scripture says that in order to follow Christ, we're going to die to ourselves. And so is that a price we are willing to pay? Now, I'm going to remind us here again that it's worth it, and we'll see in Stephen's story how valuable it is. But it's a cost we need to understand, and we need to know whether or not we're willing to pay it. And the time to figure that out is now, not when the moment arises. But the other thing that we need to figure out is, have we spent time with God? Do we really know who He is? Do we have Him as our comforter, as our hope, as our joy? Like, are we spending time with Christ? Do we have a regular habit of spending time with Jesus? And if you're asking how much time, the answer is always more. Like, how much time should I be reading my Bible? The answer is more. How much time should I be spending in prayer? The answer is more. How much time should I be spending at church? The answer is always more. Because we can never outgive God. 
And so we're talking about our time, our treasure, our talent, like we are giving it all to him and trusting him. And, and the more we can spend time with him, the more we can know him, the better off we will be. And so here's how this is displayed in Stephen's story. In verse 15, before he is asked the question, is this true? Before he gives his little response in his sermon, he says, it says in verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What a strange verse to throw in there. Like we're talking about Stephen heading towards death. We've talked about his good character and then we get this description of his physical appearance. Like why? Does Luke, the author of Acts, just want us to know that Stephen is a beautiful man? Like is he just trying to make us feel this pain that he's not only got good internal character but externally, like he's a very handsome person and, and so, you know, it just makes that even crazier? No, this idea of having the face of an angel is saying that if you can look like the divine, it means that you have spent time with the divine. And so for the early readers and for many in this room, our hearts and our minds immediately might go to someone like Moses, who when he would go and meet with God, he would have to come out and put a veil in front of his face because his face reflected the glory of God and the glory that was reflecting off of Moses was too great, too wonderful, too beautiful for other people to look straight on. And so Moses himself had to cover himself because he had been with God and the glory of God was reflecting on his face. And so Acts chapter six, verse 15 is telling that Stephen has been with God and the glory of God is reflecting even in his physical appearance. And this is significant because you go back and, and you remember John and Peter in when, when they were standing before the religious leaders and they were proclaiming Jesus and they had boldness and power and authority, the people looked at them and said, who are these guys? They called them ordinary, unschooled men. And it said the only thing that separated them from anyone else was that they had been with Jesus. And so when we spend time with Jesus, it transforms us from the inside out. Like if we have spent time with Jesus and we're regularly spending time with him, people should look at the way we live. They should hear the things that we say. They should see the things that we do. And they should say, something is different about you. And I can't explain it, but I do know that you have been with Jesus. And we point them to Christ. And this is what Stephen is going to do in this moment. So he's asked, is this true? And he responds by doing this. He starts by calling them brothers and fathers because he loves these people. He cares for them. This is important to remember. Um, but he's also showing them, hey, I know you. I, like we have the same text. We believe in the same God. I just believe that scripture has been fulfilled and, and you are ignoring that. And, and so his heart is to see these people saved. And so he's going to talk about three of the patriarchs. We'll mention them in just a moment. Then he's going to mention the temple and then kind of give this final like personal plea to the people who are listening. And so he mentions three patriarchs. He mentions Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. Why those three? Because all three of them point us to Jesus. So all three of these men were chosen by God, sent by God to be a witness to the people. Abraham was chosen by God to be a blessing to the people. And how would he be a blessing? Through his family line. Who's in his family line? Jesus is in his family line. And so it's this reminder that we are being pointed to Christ. He also is mentioned because of the, he receives the covenant of circumcision, which reminds us that in order to enter back into relationship with God, to be forgiven of our sins, there needs to be a payment of blood. Well, who sacrificed his blood on our behalf? Jesus did. 
And then he goes to Joseph, and Joseph was a brother of the patriarchs, the patriarchs, the fathers of Israel, these, these, tw- these tribes of Israel, their, their fathers, their heads, were the brothers of Joseph. And Joseph was given a vision by God that he would be a leader of his family. And what did the brothers do with that knowledge? They rejected him. They buried him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. He ends up in prison. And yet God would not leave him there. He would lift him up to a place of glory and power and authority. And the brothers have to come before him and bow down before him, begging for forgiveness. And what does Joseph do? He forgives them. And he saves them by providing for their needs. And so then we come to Moses and it tells us this in chapter seven, verses 35 to 37. It says, this same Moses, they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be the ruler and deliver by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And so again, there's this common theme that God sends for someone to be a deliverer, to be a savior, and the people reject And yet it tells us in verse 36 that he led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt in the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. So even though he is rejected, he still saves. And 37 says, this is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. So even Moses was pointing to Jesus, was saying, I'm not the final one. He's coming. The Savior is coming. And so Stephen recognized something that that the religious leaders did not recognize, that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to our need for Jesus. It was saying, you don't hold up to the law. You don't compare. You're not good enough. But God saves. And so he's going to send one who's going to be rejected by his people. The ones who should know, the ones who understand are going to reject him. And yet he will offer forgiveness anyways. And so Stephen mentions the temple because he wants them to know that God does not reside in the temple. He resides in his people. And he wants them to understand that those who think that they are special because of where they worship or because of where they are born, that that does not make them special. What makes them special is God's view of them, God's love for them, him sending his son for his people. And so Stephen gets serious in verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked people, Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. There's this reminder that Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit and these men are resisting the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And so he is begging with them. He is pleading with them to get it. Yes, Stephen uses strong language, but this is different than what a lot of Christians will do in our society today. See, a lot of Christians in our world, they see things that are bad. They see things that are evil. They see maybe an evil policy that is enacted, or they see someone acting poorly, inappropriately. And what do they do? They get online or or, or they get around a group of people and they use their words to tear this person down. And so often the heart of of Christians is to destroy that person, to condemn that person. But Stephen, looking at his accusers who were falsely accusing him, who were missing the gospel, his goal was not to destroy them. His goal was not to condemn them. His goal was to see them saved. And this is the attitude in the heart that we should have. And yet even though Stephen is doing the right thing, 
It tells us that when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, and here's where the reward kicks in. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And so here in the most difficult moment of Stephen's life, he focuses his eyes on Jesus. Here in the midst of, dirk, in the midst of difficult circumstances, he gets to see the glory of God. And it's really interesting because we see this picture of, uh, of Jesus and he's standing at the right hand of God. And it's interesting because so often we talk about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. So why is he standing here? Well, he's standing because he's getting ready to welcome Stephen into eternity. But he's also standing because he's going to be standing up for Stephen. In this moment, Stephen is, is facing an unjust human trial with no representation. But in a moment, he will stand before the Father in a just trial with the Son as his representative. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus even tells us, he says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And so Jesus is getting ready to acknowledge Stephen. As a matter of fact, in just a moment, Stephen is going to pass away and he will stand before the Father and the Father will look down and he will look at his life and he will say, you know what, Stephen, there's, there's a lot of sin here. Because even though Stephen is a, a good man, he's not a perfect man. He's not good in the sense that God is good. He has sin in his life and he is worthy of condemnation because of that. He is worthy of judgment because of that. And so the father would look at the list and say, listen, hey, sorry, you didn't meet the standard. But Jesus will step in in that moment and he will say, hey, dad, hold on a second. I know Stephen. He put his trust in me. And dad, look at, look at the holes in my wrist Look at the holes in my feet. Look at the, the hole in my side where that spear pierced me. Dad, you can still see the scars on my forehead where they pushed the, the crown of thorns on my head. He's going to look at the Father. He's going to say, Dad, I, I paid the price. Stephen's good. My righteousness is his righteousness. His sin is dead and gone. It is buried and washed away. And the Father will look at Stephen and say those words we all long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so Stephen is getting to enter into eternity because the son is standing on his behalf. And this is what makes it all worth it. That the cost we have to pay is nothing in comparison to what Jesus already paid for us. And yet look at verses 59 and 60 because there's a, a, another cost that Stephen has to pay. It's not, his it's not just his physical life that he has to pay. But there's something else. In order to be a witness, he has to give up quite a bit. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and we know that he will. And it says, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen prayed a prayer that is very similar to what Jesus cried out in his last moments on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As a matter of fact, a lot of Stephen's story is meant to reflect the story of Jesus to us. And if we were to be Christ-like, this is what Stephen is trying to do in his life. But here in this moment, he prays for his accusers. He prays for his persecutors that God would not hold their sin against them. 
That is an incredibly difficult thing to do. But in Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And when he says that, he meant it. So often we want to bash our accusers. We want to bash our enemies. We want to destroy them or see them harmed. And yet Jesus said, pray for them, love them. And so Stephen in this moment is having to give something up. Yes, he's giving up his physical life, but he's also giving up his pride, his bitterness, his anger, his resentment, his chance at revenge. He could have prayed, Lord, bring judgment upon these men. Lord, punish these men. But instead, he prayed, Lord, don't hold this against them. And here's the beauty of this story. Stephen's witness and Stephen's prayer had great power that lasted long after the time he's gone. See, one of the men who is standing there, we, we know one name of the men who is standing there who are stoning Stephen, and one of them is a man named Saul. And I want you to remember that Stephen prayed for Saul and prayed, Lord, do not hold this against him. And later in the text, we're going to see that Saul is walking down the road to Damascus, and he meets the risen Christ. And what does Jesus do? He forgives him and redeems him and restores him. He gives him a purpose and a plan. We know Saul better as the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament and is arguably the greatest Christian evangelist the church has ever seen. And prayer is one of those confusing things. God is sovereign. He's going to do his thing. But in this moment, he used Stephen's prayer for his enemy to forgive that man and to restore him into relationship with the Father so that he could be a light to the world. I mean, and you think about it, like all of us in here who are followers of Christ have been blessed by the words of Paul. And if Stephen prays a prayer that many of us would have wanted to pray, if he's not willing to die to self and trust God's plan for the men who, who are stoning him unjustly, then maybe we never get that text. Maybe we never get those words. Maybe in that moment, Saul is struck down rather than lifted up. There is power in a faithful witness and in a faithful prayer. And so we as the people of God need to submit ourselves completely to God's plan for our lives, to understand that it comes at a great cost. Although for many of us in this room and those who are watching online, for many of us, it's not going to cost us our physical lives. Praise God that we live in a place where we can proclaim the word of God freely and not have to face these kinds of consequences. But even if it did, it would be worth it because the reward of knowing Christ and having him speak on our behalf is significantly greater than us living our lives longer or better here in this world. Nothing this world has to offer compares to what Jesus has to offer. And we want to live as faithful witnesses, knowing that there is a great cost to it, but knowing that the reward is even greater. Just imagine standing in eternity. Imagine Stephen standing in eternity and looking and saying, hey, Stephen, because of you, Saul had his life transformed and became a witness to so many others. And so it's not just the work that you do and you see, but it has a multiplication effect for the people that you impact. And so we need to be people who pray, who witness, who live faithfully to Jesus Christ, understanding that it comes at a great cost, but understanding the reward is so much more valuable than what we have to pay.
And so we need to be people who are willing to give our lives both literally and figuratively for the gospel, for ourselves following Jesus, and to proclaim the gospel to others. And if we do this, God will use our church. He will fill us with his spirit, lead us and guide us, and do great things in and through us. So let's be the church that God has called us to be, being willing to pay the cost, knowing the reward is worth everything we have to give up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for faithful examples in the church, men like Stephen, who demonstrated your love to us, who proclaimed the gospel at all costs. God, help us have boldness and courage like Stephen. Help us have opportunity like Stephen had to proclaim the gospel. And God, whether we see the fruit or not, would you work in the hearts of the people that we are pastoring work in the hearts of our neighbors and our friends and our families who we are witnessing to so that God, whether we witness it or not, that they would come to know you, that they would come to know your saving grace. God, give us strength to love even those we call enemies, to pray for those who would persecute us. God, to be willing to sacrifice our anger, our bitterness, our resentment, to give everything to you and to trust your plan for our lives and for those around us. So God, I pray that we would be a church that is found faithful, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and then strengthen us and empower us so that we can do the things you've called us to do. God, lead us and guide us and use us to be a light for you. And God, we pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done here in Carmichael as it is in heaven. God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're up to here. We love you and pray these things in your son's name. Amen.